Hello, everybody, and welcome to The Abundant Edge, the podcast all about the worlds of natural building, permaculture, and regenerative living. I'm your host, Oliver Gaucher, and I have a fantastic interview for you today, so let's jump right on in. Now, my guest today is an outspoken advocate for freeing yourself from the shackles of the rat race by making lifestyle changes that help you to regain your freedom. Chris McClellan is affectionately known as Uncle Mud and runs a website by the same name where you can find resources on how to learn to build with cob and other natural materials. In this episode, Chris goes into depth on the different ways that you can slash your monthly bills with natural building retrofits. How instead of paying upwards of $1,000 a month to heat his house, He now only pays $75 a year using a wood stove that he built with mud and recycled materials. And he also talks about why you should look to your backyard for building supplies before heading to the Home Depot. Now stay tuned at the end of this episode where I'll be giving exclusive information on how you can come and learn all you need to know about how to get started building your own home with natural materials and to be involved in building a high-efficiency cob rocket stove for a local family here on beautiful Lake Atitlan in Guatemala. Now I'll turn things over to Chris. Chris, thank you so much for being here with me today. Thank you very much. Now I know we've got a whole lot of questions to get to, so how about we just jump right in? Sounds great. All right, so let's start off with the basics. Tell me about how you got started in natural building and how it sort of changed your lifestyle since you began. When I was a young teenager, I broke my leg and my dad gave me a copy of Lloyd Kahn's Shelter book that was actually made about the time I was born. But it's such a fantastic do-it-yourself encouragement sort of a thing, just basically photos and stories of people all over the world making their own little uh, house, their own little workshop um, out of whatever was at hand. And that um, uh, that was so inspiring. I've worn out six copies of that book, and I've uh, become friends with Lloyd and published a few things in some of his books, and he's just been a great inspiration. Fantastic. So now, a big part of what you do is you promote sort of freer lifestyles and how people can get off this sort of rat race track through natural building methods and by transforming the options that they use to obtain their goals. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Absolutely. So basically anytime we sign a lease for an apartment or we uh, sign uh, for a loan for a car or agree to take a job that uh, is taking uh, all or most of our time or life energy, uh, that kind of sticks us to a place and that's not all bad. Uh, you know, it's better than being on the street. Absolutely. And it's better than having, uh, things be too uncertain. Um, but, uh, the more that we are, uh, able to, uh, limit our need to buy into a system that taxes us so much, you know, they're not just the government taxing us, but, um, having to have that expensive car and spend that time to commute and buy those clothes to look nice for that job and that cell phone to communicate, uh, with everybody because things are so busy. 
Um, the more we buy into that system, uh, the, the more uh, we leave out the things we might like to do, like go for a walk or uh, go to India or uh, draw a picture or read a book with our kids. So I, um, uh, I focus on the things you can do with mud instead of with materials you buy from the store and uh, try to get people thinking along the lines of what can I do with what I have now? What's going to fire my creativity? And maybe it's not perfect. Oh, definitely it's not perfect, but, uh, uh, and maybe it's not even as good as something you could pay somebody else who's an expert to do. But when I look at the thing I did, uh, there's a certain satisfaction to that. Now, so how does natural building fit into sort of opening up your options? Aside from, of course, just using what is around you, how else can it free up your life just by reconsidering what's available to you in the physical world? Well, uh, think in terms of uh, structures. Um, the, uh, uh, the standard structure for a uh, house that uh, somebody would build for you is uh, a four by eight sheet of plywood or an eight foot tall uh, two by four or two by six or two by eight. And these are square, you know, rectilinear uh, uh, materials that are put into rectilinear buildings. Uh, and everything we buy is designed to fit into those modules like Legos. And um, when we start saying, well, what would a house look like that was made out of a tree that was crooked? Um, then we're, we're sharply veering off of, off of the path. And you know, that path is actually a very well maintained freeway or tollway, I guess, cause you got to pay to play. But, um, uh, but when you veer off into the woods, as it were, you start, uh, you know, your life changes. You start slowing down, of course, uh, but you start noticing little things and, and life that's going by you and, and the trees and the flowers and um, the, the crunch of uh, leaves under your feet. And, uh, and it's a very different path than uh, working with materials that have been highly refined for quick building and for, um, uh, for making things that are all boxes that are more or less the same. Now, can you give me some examples of stories of people that you've interacted with who've transformed their lives by adopting natural building methods or reconsidering what their priorities were? Well, uh, an example that's very close to my heart would be uh, my 20-year-old daughter. Uh, she was looking at all of the uh, expenses of going to college. She wasn't honestly sure what she wanted to do, so it seemed kind of silly to uh, spend the money to go uh, take college classes and stay in a dorm uh, that would um, be so expensive to maybe go down a dead-end street and have to go back and take other classes when she figured out what she really wanted to do. So she uh, got her general education out of the way at the local community college and built a two-story treehouse in my backyard out of stuff we had laying around. Um, and it's insulated and heated and, uh, and it, uh, has its own composting toilet and its own little kitchen and, uh, looks out over the lake and, 
and it sways in the breeze, sometimes alarmingly, and it leaks on her head <laughs> where she hasn't figured out exactly how to seal it. And, uh, um, but it's hers and it's, uh, it's her little space that she's created. And it, uh, she did it for, uh, about $2,000, um, plus, you know, lots of help from family and friends and, um, you know, an apartment would have cost her three, four five, six, seven hundred $700, depending on where she went, if she was going to go stay someplace else, or, you know, she could have just stayed in the house with everybody else, but where's the fun in that? So she's, um, gone and had an adventure just creating her own, uh, space to be in. And it's actually enabled her to think further afield. Um, so having decided where the center of the universe is, she's heading off to be a missionary for 18 months, um, in a couple of months. And, uh, we're really excited for her. That's remarkable. And I would imagine but, she learned a ton in the process and that must have been a really empowering experience for someone her age to realize that they can provide housing, you know, even if it's not perfect, even if it needs some alterations, but with their own hands and menial resources can provide something like that for themselves. Absolutely. You know, we're, we're trained that, that everything is, uh, every solution is something that we go buy from an expert and that those solutions that are there, frankly, because they make the expert enough money to live on, um, are the solutions uh, that are best for us when, um, yeah, the expert is going to do a better job at that particular thing. Um, and uh, we may have uh, the roof leak on our heads in the process of figuring out um, uh, how to do things for ourselves. But, um, you know, that trains the creative part of our brains, uh, I think, to look for you know, alternative solutions. Uh, my friend Zianto and Michael, when they went to build a house, decided to turn it into a game. Uh, they looked and said, we have $500. That's our budget. And they put it in a coffee can. And every time they wanted a door or a hinge or uh, a wall, um, they looked in the coffee can. And, um, you know, they could go to Home Depot and get a door on a frame that would be really easy to put in really quickly. And that could easily be half of, you know, what was originally in that coffee can just in the door. Uh, and instead, if you say, well, I, I'm not going to spend all my money on this quick and easy solution um, because I want to do something else with it. I want some money left over for the roof or for some paint or, uh, or just to go and, um, and take a trip with my family when I'm done with it. So uh, you start looking in the dumpster and you start mentioning it to your friends and you start thinking about the things that you've got sitting around that might work. And, and you start building this house in your mind out of the things that you find around you or that you're likely to find around you. And, um, and, and the house becomes something of a, of, of a, of, of its own living entity uh, and as you find a, a, a window in a dumpster and it's not the size that you'd planned, suddenly that changes the wall around it. And having your mind be able to accommodate those changes uh, tends to make 
other things that arise in life easier to deal with, like, you know, a change in your schedule because there was a traffic jam or, um, uh, a sudden, um, even a sudden illness, um, being able to, uh, look at it as, well, this isn't where I'd planned to go, but it's where I am. What am I going to do to enjoy it? Indeed. Now, I know one of the reasons why you've been such a powerful advocate for these types of solutions is that you live what you preach. Could you tell me some of the, the systems and the, the things that you've implemented in your own lifestyle that have been big game changers for you? Yeah. So, uh, uh, 17 years ago, uh, I found myself with, um, a, um, the need of a bigger house. I had, uh, four children and, uh, and a sister-in-law living with us and a two bedroom house. And we ended up, the only thing we could afford was a double wide trailer. And, um, it was cold in the winter and warm in the summer and, um, and it not a very good building by any, uh, uh, ruler or yardstick other than that it was what I could afford. And, um, sort shortly after I finished building that I discovered natural materials building I discovered that, you know, straw bales will keep you nice and warm if you smear them with uh, earth and plaster so that they don't catch on fire or mold or have mice wanting to live in them. And, um, uh, and that, that earth and plaster, you can go out in your backyard and, uh, dig a hole and maybe you add some sand to that clay, or maybe you add some clay to that sand you find, but, um, it mostly comes out of the ground ready to do something with, and you can make fantastic things with it. Uh, I, uh, I even built a uh, rocket mass heater. It's a wood stove made out of scrap metal and mud uh, that heats my house for $75 a year. Now and that's a big difference. Cause I, what was your oh, yeah. What was your heating bill before well, my, you installed that? My propane furnace uh, was costing me sometimes $1,000 a month. Wow. And, uh, and, and that was... I mean, that was devastating because, uh, I didn't have that money. Um, and, uh, and I needed another solution. Uh, but, uh, now I'm able to do a lot more of what I want with my life because I'm not paying that, um, huge amount of money to keep my family warm. Um, but the similar things that anybody can do, I mean, you grow a little garden and you know, if you've priced organic carrots, they're pretty darn expensive, but they're a lot better for you than, uh, than Oreos, uh, which are cheaper, interestingly enough. Yeah. Isn't that funny? <laughs> so, uh, yeah. So, so you look around and say, well, what can I do? And, uh, you know, they, uh, they like to say that, uh, organic gardening, uh, that what is it? Permaculture is, uh, is a revolution disguised as organic gardening. Right. Um, but, you know, I, you know, my daughter building a tree house or uh, my friend building a cottage for $500 or um, uh, me finding a junk a car that gets my son on the road without a loan or, um, you know, I, I was able to get out of college myself with no debt 
because we, uh, my wife and I lived in the attic of my aunt's garage. Um, she needed a, uh, a rumpus room for her kids and couldn't afford to finish that space. And we needed a place to stay. So we finished that space and lived there for a year. And when we moved out, she had a room and we had no college debt. And, you know, there's some sort of little thing like that, that if we train our minds to look for it, uh, we can find it. Um, I call it green pickup. I call it green pickup syndrome is that as soon as if you, you never see a green pickup until you start thinking about green pickups and then you start seeing green pickups. But if you don't start thinking about them, um, yeah, did you see any green pickups today? Nah, I didn't see any green pickups today. Were there green pickups passing by? Yeah, probably. But I didn't see any of them. And so when you start thinking about not uh, what movie am I going to go to this weekend or uh, uh, how am I going to pay this bill, but start thinking about uh, uh, what do I want to do instead and how do I, um, how do I get from here to there? Um, you know, people look at tiny houses and, uh, um, as something that might save them and that might be true. That's a great option if you have a place to park it and you can afford to take the money to, uh, to build it. But you know, maybe just get a smaller apartment to start with. It's true. There's a lot of other solutions um, when you start to get creative and open up your mind to what's possible. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I like, uh, we we do this thing we call, uh, my buddy Sunray calls this shopping in God's hardware store. And, you know, you need a doorknob. Instead of going to Home Depot or uh, the hardware store to buy a doorknob that was made who knows where and, uh, you know, after assembled from parts that were dug out of the earth someplace else, you know, you go out in the woods, walking around, thinking about, how pretty it is out there and also in the back of your mind about doorknobs and you end up coming across a, uh, a crooked little tree that's growing out of the side of another tree and, you know, they're not doing well together and you trim off the, the one and, uh, take it home and peel the bark off and screw it to the door. And now you've got a, uh, a doorknob. And uh, it costs you all of uh, a walk in the woods. Exactly. Yeah, for sure. Now, let's switch over for because I was imagine that a lot of people are quite convinced of what you're talking about. So can you talk a little bit about how they can get started? What are some steps to make these changes that, that you've been speaking on? Oh, well, you know what? There's, there's a couple of ways to do it. You can um, you can either do something small and and then almost unobtrusive and and decide that you're pleased with that and that you're going to use that as a stepping stone to do something else. Uh, so like like uh, like for instance, if you've got a space you're trying to finish on a wall and you say, well, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna go build a, a, a an earthen house right now because I don't know how to and I don't have the time and I'm, I'm, I'm worried that it's not going to work for all of these different reasons. But I do want something like that in my life, so I'm going to just go out in the woods and find some, you know, sandy clay and play with it and make this little thing and like make a decoration on my wall. And 
and maybe it cracks and all falls off and I got to go do a little research on the internet to find out what I'm going to do to make it stick to my wall. And then someday I actually have it stuck to my wall. And I look at that and I say, well, what can I do with the rest of the room? And then I say, well, what can I do with the rest of the house? And, um, and you make it a gradual transition and you, uh, you know, spend your vacation going and volunteering at somebody else's house to learn how to do this uh, instead of, uh, sitting on a beach, uh, in the Bahamas and, uh, and, or maybe you, uh, uh, decide that you like things just fine like they are. Um, but you're, uh, but you're going to, uh, use that process of thinking them through and imagining what they might be to, uh, change what you do for a living or whatever. But the, um, the other way you can do this is to pick something crazy and do it. Something that, um, that you'll use to say to yourself, yeah, I can do anything I want. So like a composting toilet, um, you don't need a $3,000, uh, professionally made composting toilet when you can uh, go to Joe Jenkins uh, website for his humanure handbook. And he actually has the entire book on the website for you to download or look at um, to make your own composting toilet out of a 50 gallon or a five gallon bucket uh, and some sawdust and a toilet seat. Um, And people are going to look at you like, why are you doing this when you have a perfectly good flush toilet? Well, um, you know, that flush toilet takes mm, almost half of the water that goes through your house. And, uh, and if, uh, and if you're not just a little bit disturbed by, uh, the amount of water we use to dispose of a little tiny bit of waste and ruin that water and, and make that waste go into our streams and, and pollute them, the algae blooms and all that, um, then I don't think you're thinking very clearly about how these systems all connect. But if you just say, yeah, I'm put a bucket in my, uh, bathroom and I'm going to poop in it and people are going to look at me funny. Um, but I'm going to take that bucket of sawdust and poop and put it in a composting pile uh, for a year and let it just sit there and get hot and cook and kill all the pathogens and, and then my tomatoes are going to love that soil. They're just going to burst uh, out of the ground because they're, those plants are going to love all that nutrient that's being put back into the soil. And I'm going to smirk and I'm going to go look and think of something else that, uh, that I can do that might be considered radical or strange, but, um, but is going to, uh, make me feel like I've done something worthwhile. Yeah, and it's worth mentioning too that, you know, it doesn't have to be as rustic as just a bucket in in a box or something. With very little money, you can make them quite pleasant with no risk of odors uh, and and very user-friendly. I've seen some great ones for that I've built for clients that I've seen at friends' houses and things like that too. So even for, you know, if your budget is really limited, it doesn't have to be so rustic that it's that it's unpleasant or or strange for people to use, even if they're not accustomed to it. I'm a big fan of those uh, right. composting toilets. Right, right, and you know, and so you start looking around and saying, "Well, what else 
is going to make a difference in my life. Uh, and maybe it's that I, uh, maybe I start carving spoons and, and, you know, when you can go to a thrift store and get a spoon for 50 cents, or you can get a whole set of cutlery for 10 bucks, it's, it doesn't quote unquote pay for your time to learn how, let alone just to do it. But there's a satisfaction in being able to do something and, and and there's a pleasure in this um this contemplative um thing whether it's knitting or or quilting or um uh, or making candles out of out of wax or whatever but you know just finding something that that you find um that you find gives you pleasure that actually has a product that uh any whether that product is uh is a, a fork or or uh a mud house or uh, uh you know or an improved garden or whatever these these are just uh really um empowering things that's i think the the my focus is you know, do something that empowers you to go do more that it that makes you feel good when you're done with it and 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 not well okay i just wasted another uh yeah how many shows can i binge watch and and have no redeeming value from it um or how much can i consume of you know food or clothes or uh or a new car and then i have to go pay for those things and and that doesn't even calculate you know, where it gets pulled out of the earth somewhere or the, uh, you know, the, the slave labor they use for my chocolate or whatever. And, you know, and just expanding to say, expanding your sense of what's important and doing something that you feel makes a difference, even if it's small. Absolutely. Add up over I'm time. glad you mentioned that the, those small projects, because that's one of the things that you promote as well. This concept of too small to fail. Can you elaborate on that? Right. So, um, some people are doing this thing where they get excited about television shows about tiny houses and they try to give away all their, their belongings and they, uh, they'll go and build a $50,000 tiny house and on wheels and, uh, and they'll move into it because that's going to save their soul or change their life in some way. And, uh, and it may, and, um, uh, that's up to them to decide um, when they run into obstacles like um, not being able to find a place that's legal to park it. Um, suddenly now they have to find another place to live and they've given away all their stuff. So they're living in a bare apartment and paying the mortgage on a little tiny house that they couldn't uh, uh, couldn't find a place to put. Um, and, uh, and that that's disempowering that feels more and more trapped. Um, whereas if they had, um, looked up in their, the, the code and zoning, what the smallest allowable shed is and they build a shed and on somebody else's property, let's, let's just say, you know, there's a, there's a, a, a good example of, uh, if I say to my friend, who's got a nice piece of land where I, someplace near where I want to live, Hey, let me build you a little cottage. Uh, legally, it's a shed. 
it's possible that I'm not allowed to stay there. Um, but we're just going to build this thing and we're going to, and I will spend my money to build this thing. If you'll let me live there for five years. And they say, okay. Cause they kind of always wanted this little cottage where they could go and write or, or putter around with their plants or, um, just be away from everybody else. And, but they couldn't figure out how they were going to do it. And five years seems to them like a reasonable, uh, risk. I mean, it's not like forever. Um, but at the end of five years, maybe, uh, they charge you rent or you agree to build them another building or, uh, they maybe charge you a lot of rent if they want you to go away or they maybe just enjoy <laughs> Depending having on how you there. good of a neighbor um, you were, right? Exactly. Exactly. But the five years is something that, um, let's just say, uh, your apartment had cost you 600 bucks a month and now you're going to move into a little shed little cottage that you've built and um and maybe you spend six thousand dollars building that in the summer building that uh cottage of yours well if you live there for five years and you walk away at the end of the five years that you don't you know renegotiate uh or you, you just move on with your life at the end of five years the difference between the six hundred dollars you would have spent on rent and the $6,000 you spent for your cottage uh, to build your cottage is roughly $30,000. You walk away with $30,000 in your pocket. Now, or that you could have invested live... or you could have put towards other resources. Yeah, exactly. There's limited or there's exactly. unlimited options of what right. you could have done with that. Yeah. Right. But let's just say that it didn't work out for whatever reason. Maybe you didn't get along with this person. Maybe this person died and their kids didn't like you or maybe the zoning guy says you can't live in a shed or you know uh or maybe you decided that that you uh that you need to move to idaho or whatever but um say you left after uh after three years well you still leave with um roughly uh twenty thousand dollars in your pocket fifteen to twenty thousand dollars in your pocket um compared to having rented an apartment that whole time um, and, uh, if you, let's just say you lived there for a year, uh, you'd still walk away with a little bit of money in your pocket. You'd be irritated because you've spent the time to build this thing. Um, and you know, maybe you're there for three months and you get it built. Here's a worst case scenario. Maybe you get, get there for three months, you get the thing built, you've spent your money to build it. You have spent your $6,000 or your, and your, and, and you just can't live there for whatever reason. Um, well, you, um, it hurts cause you're out the money, you know, you're out, uh, you know, $4,200 or whatever it is, the difference between your rent, uh, from that, that three months and the money it would have cost that you spent. Um, so, but you're out $4,200. Now you can recover from $4,200. You can't recover from $50,000. Uh, for a tiny house, uh, and and uh, that didn't on wheels that somebody else built you that you have to pay for with your credit card um, because it didn't work out. Um, so finding a uh, a solution that's that even if it just didn't work, the downside is something you can walk away from that you can limp away from. You know, that's a, you know, any landing you can walk away from is a good landing. 
um, thinking, thinking about uh, the risks you're willing to take in terms of, well, what can I walk away from? What things can I do that I've always wanted to do? Um, uh, and, uh, and that are, are going to work because I can walk away from it. Um, so that's the too small to fail. Um, and you know, when we, when we buy a house, you know, the 30 year mortgage mortgage is an old French word for death pledge. Basically you are taking on all of the risk of this building. Um, and you know, the risk that the relationship that you have, uh, with the, uh, person that you're living with and owning the house with is going to be solid so that you're both paying for it. Uh, the relationship with your employers is going to, or, or another employer is going to be good enough, um, that the economy is going to be good enough in that area that you're going to be able to afford this for 30 years. We make tremendous risks for these houses that we live in. And, uh, um, but we consider it too risky to spend a couple grand on a treehouse. Yeah. And, yeah, uh, I, and I, I find that a bit upside I down. I find that a bit upside down because, uh, you know, she's already gotten her value, uh, a year in, she's already gotten her value out of this treehouse, uh, emotionally and spiritually and, um, and, uh, and financially. Um, and, uh, and now it's just the icing on the cake. Uh, so, you uh, yeah, she if she had uh, bought a house or rented, um, it, that value would be harder to uh, recoup. Absolutely, in the, in the immediate absolutely. sense. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I think that's given people a lot to think about. How can they get in touch with you in order to learn more and follow your blog? So uh, you can find me on Facebook. Just look up Uncle Mud M U D, um, or you can email me info at unclemud.com. Uh, if you live uh, near um, one of the fairs that Mother Earth News puts on every year in the United States, they do six fairs all over the country. Uh, in a couple of weeks, I'm heading to Vermont uh, to do natural building demonstrations. People can come play in the mud with us uh, in Vermont in June and Oregon in August, uh, Pennsylvania in September. Um, Texas in February, Kansas in October. Um, we just go all over the country and we talk about these things. So what can you do? Um, how wide open are your options? Uh, they're wide open as your, your imagination. And, um, and, you know, become play in the mud with us. You start seeing what's possible. Um, or we do uh, workshops, uh, naturalcottageproject.com uh, is the organization I work with Deanne Bednar uh, just north of Michigan uh, just, sorry just north of Detroit Michigan uh, where we uh, teach people in nine days how to build their own little cottage out of materials that are, they just have, might have around and, uh, and everything from the foundation to uh, living roof to uh, siting it so the sun doesn't blast you out or the cold doesn't uh, make you uncomfortable and uh, and we just work through all those problems uh, and uh, talk about what your options are. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for taking the time today, Chris. It was a real pleasure talking to you, and I'm sure we'll catch up again soon in the future. Absolutely. I look forward to uh, watching what's going on with you, too. Cheers. Take care. Bye.
So there you have it from Chris. Now we're going to transition over to this week's weekly tip. In this session, I'm going to be talking more about looking for alternatives. Now I know that Chris already touched quite a bit on this in his interview and I wanted to elaborate on a few of the concepts that we discussed. Now looking for alternatives covers a lot of ground. This could be lighting or heating solutions, wastewater management, alternative building materials, or even just switching up your daily routines and habits. The reason why this is a tricky tip to implement is that it requires you to analyze your life and try to look at it from a non-obvious perspective. So one of the best ways that I've found to do this is to ask yourself why three times. This will help you get to reasons and motivations behind your habits and routines, or even help you to question your own infrastructure. I'll give you an example of this. Why do you pay hundreds of dollars to heat or air condition your house? Well, because electricity is expensive and your heater or air conditioner uses a lot of energy. Here I'm using the possibility that you're heating or cooling with electricity, but this could apply to just about any heat source. Now, why is electricity expensive? And why do your appliances use so much? Well, electricity is expensive because it takes a lot of infrastructure to mine or extract the resources and then get it to your house from centralized locations. And your appliances use so much because they use it inefficiently, in most cases. Or maybe the space that you're trying to heat is not insulated. Well, so why are you using outdated centralized power sources that burn fossil fuels and appliances that use the energy inefficiently? So maybe you haven't considered alternative sources, the possibility of installing solar or wind power, or learned how to build yourself a stove that heats your home at a fraction of the cost. Insulating the space could be another solution as well. Now, of course, these are only a few possible outcomes from asking why. The answers that apply to your specific situation might be completely different, but this was just an example. Asking why a few times will cause you to question your situation and choices more deeply than normal and lead you to possibilities you might never have considered. So once you're open to alternative ways of taking care of your needs, you may find that you no longer have to do the things that you don't like in order to support systems and habits that don't make you happy. If you have recently considered a new alternative for your lifestyle, or if you find solutions using this easy way of questioning yourself, I would love to hear about it in the comment sections under the show notes for this episode on the website. I look forward to seeing you there. Now, for those of you who want to make a giant leap forward in your natural building education, I'm now offering natural building workshops that cover everything you need to know to get started on your own house in an intensive one-week experience. You'll get the chance to mix cob, make adobes, work with stones, natural plasters, and even try out bamboo joinery and much more. We'll go over design essentials and project planning, all while working on hands-on projects that benefit the indigenous Mayan population here in Guatemala. This is a really fantastic deal because your lodging and food are all included in the course tuition. And as always, there is limited space in these workshops, so sign up soon to guarantee your spot. Go to the website at AbundantEdge.com and click on the Education tab and Courses and Workshops to get all the information you need. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. As always, you can find all the show notes for this and all other episodes at AbundantEdge.com by clicking on the Podcast tab in the navigation bar. On the website, you can also find a whole range of educational articles, as well as the services we offer from contracting, design, consulting, and education. While you're there, don't forget to sign up for our newsletter, 
where I share updates and pictures on our projects, regenerative living articles, and even free resources and giveaways. Thank you sincerely to all of you who have and continue to add comments and send feedback and emails to me. Your contributions help this to be the conversation and dialogue that it's meant to be. For anyone else interested, you can email us directly at info at AbundantEdge.com. All of your feedback makes these episodes and interviews so much more engaging and help me to give you the information and content that you want. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you again on next week's episode.